sorry. Good evening. Bruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem. Berach Nuchem Abes Hashem. Are you going to have one of those nights again over there? Um, I don't know why there's so many people online that are offline. Just one second, got to figure out what happened to this one. Here he is, okay. Uh, to call. Um, I take it this one also wants to be added to the call. Add to call. Okay. Uh, tonight we are embarking on the nine days. Tonight is the night before Erev Eshchidosh. Tomorrow being Erev Eshchidosh. Tomorrow being Erev Eshchidosh of. Technically, tonight is the happiest night of the year. So, you get a bewildered look and a perplexed look, the happiest night of the year. Rabbi, can we get some of the stuff you're drinking? Why are you so happy tonight? Shulchan Aruch tells us, Mishinichnas Oder Marvin Besimcha. When other comes in, we start to add simcha. It does not tell us that when other finishes, we have to stop adding simcha. When did you get a haircut? Two weeks ago. Well, that's the fastest. Okay. You'll wait till they sleep. It doesn't say when to stop. So technically, if Mishinichna's other, we have to start being adding in Simcha a daily basis, then each day from Rishchidosh on, Rishchidosh other on, we've been adding more and more joy to our days. And this is carried on until Shulchan Aruch puts a break on it. I think so. What is the break? That's right, I don't know, that's why I wouldn't do it. <laughs> what is the breaks? The breaks that are put on, it says, Mishinichnas of Mimaatin Besimcha. So technically, if we read it on a regular format, technically, Mishinichnas other, we started adding Simcha every day. Tonight is the last night that we are going to add Simcha even more. And according to the Shulchan Aruch, if you read it the way it's written, Mishinichnas of Mematen B'Simcha. However, Chassidus doesn't say that. Chassidus, the Rebbe explains, is Mishinichnas of 
Maipen. When Av comes in, we have to decrease. We have to decrease all the issues, all our goals, all our exile. How? Besimcha. By being happy. And therefore, in essence, there are no breaks on the concept of Simcha. And that's why we are taught Ivdu es Hashem besimcha, to serve God always besimcha. And there's no better vessel There's no better way of accomplishing what one has to accomplish and overcome what one has to overcome except for with Simcha. This Shabbos is Matas Masai. Matas Masai, as you obviously, if you take out the Chumash Bamidbar, the Book of Numbers, you will see, is Chazak. Chazak of the Chumash, we're going to finish off and say, Eila Mitzvah, Samishpat, Meshitziv Hashem, Biad Moshe, El Bnei Yisrael, Ba'arvis, Moyav, Ayarden Yerechai, which we will discuss how Yarden Yerechai is relevant to, of course, the most important subject of all, to Mashiach. Balshemtov, which I think I believe tonight we have two stories of Balshemtov to tell, and the reason being the two parshas that we are reading are Matos and Masai. Parshas Matos begins talking about vows that one takes, and Masai is the journeys which the Jews take in the course of the 40 years are mentioned in this parasha. If anybody represented travel in the Jewish world, in the Jewish history, it was the Vashantov. One of the younger students of the Balsham HaKadosh came from a town in Germany called Leipzig, which is also known as a marketplace, basically. The Balsham was in Mezhebuz, which is quite a distance, about 10 hours ride by horse and wagon. Uh-huh. Who? I know. We're dedicating tonight's shir actually to Rafu Shleima Rafal Ben Adina. A very interesting, I mean, unfortunately. Oh, welcome. Yes, haven't been by a shir for a while. You're going to shul meetings. Okay. When he goes to shul meetings, doesn't come to the shir. Very nice. But he, I hope he knows he's not invited to the wedding. He's going to be so upset.
Um, I got a message from somebody today that Rafal Ben Adina needs Rafal Shlema. He was pronounced brain dead, Rahman al Islam. He had a motorcycle accident, a young boy who's engaged to be married. And um, I got dropped off here. Why? Why did my video go off? I don't either know. What happened here? Okay, he got dropped. So now where's my video? The light's on. Let me call you right back. Ah, we need more light. Okay. I need more light in the room, I think. Can you turn on the other light? Okay, we'll get another light on. Hopefully we'll be able to see you better. Turn on another light. Take off over there the... Uh... Go on in. Go on here. Take off the middle plate. I guess that's the middle way. We'll take it off. Go ahead. Okay, we have more light now. No, leave it on. So we're not still not being seen on the video. I don't know what happened to it. Leave the lights on. There's a problem here. The, the, the camera blacked out on me. Why'd you black out? Strange. Okay. So Bashamtav told the student Oh my gosh. The Balshemtov told his student, We're going to travel to Leipzig. Much better. And the student was very, very happy. First of all, he's going to travel with the Balshemtov, he'll hear wonders, etc. But most importantly, his parents lived in Leipzig. So he was really excited to be able to go to that town. Finally, the Bashemtiv told him, um, Don't be too excited. You're not going to have any time to visit your parents. Traditionally, in the Bashemtiv's journeys, the Bashemtiv would tell the wagon driver, Alexei, to leave go of the reins. Go to sleep and leave go of the reins. And the horses knew where to take them. And so too now, the Bashemta with his student embark on their journey. And the Bashem tells Alexei, when you leave the city, nobody's looking anymore, leave go of the reins and go to sleep. And he does. And the horse and wagon are driving and on and on and on. The Bashemtov is repeatedly saying words of Torah, of course. Ten hours go by and they're not anywhere near Leipzig. Eleven, twelve. It's already Thursday night. They're getting nervous. They pull over. And the Bashanta says, we're spending the night here. 
And so the Chassid immediately went to sleep in the wagon. He's sure the Bashamtu didn't sleep at all, of course, Thursday nights. And in the morning, as they started their journey further, Friday afternoon, Friday morning, Chassid woke up and told, We're continuing our journey. As the journey continued, they came to the forest. And the Chassid was very excited. He thought, maybe here we'll find a house at least, instead of spending in the middle of wilderness. And lo and behold, they see in the distance a house. And as they get closer, they see there's a mezuzah. Chassid was very excited. At least there's going to be somewhere that they're going to spend Shabbos that's going to be something Jewish. And lo and behold, as soon as they pull up, the wife opens the door, and sees the Bashemtev. He gets very, very happy and calls to her husband to come quickly. And they welcome the Bashemtev into the house. And the Bashemtev tells the Chassid, You wait here in the wagon. And the Bashemtev goes into the house for about 15 minutes and he comes out. And they, much to the chagrin of the chassid, they're not spending Shabbos here. They're continuing the journey. And as they embark further, they arrive at the middle of a forest. They stop again. And again the Bashemtev tells the chassid to come out with him this time. Hashem took a silver goblet and he started to walk with the chassid in the forest. Suddenly, Hashem stops and he says to the chassid, do you hear water? And he listens and he hears water. And Hashem clears the grass and there was a little bubbling brook The bubbling brook and the Bashemtev reaches down, takes a cup of the water, makes a bracha with tremendous kavana, drinks it, and again makes a berinafashas with the same great fervor. They mount the wagon, and a short while later they're in. Leipzig. Chassid is fascinated. We're in Leipzig for Shabbos. This is amazing. We can spend Shabbos with my parents. But as they're cutting into Leipzig, the Vashemtev tells the driver, turn over here on the street. And the Chassid was, fascin- was, was, was mesmerized, was petrified. He says, no, 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 you can't go down that street. That's its all the taverns, all the students, all the drunks, the anti-Semites, they, they, they'll kill us here. Santa said, turn down the street. And they come down the street, and they came in front of a store, a storefront, and the uh, Chassid noticed that it said Shoemaker on the door. And the Bashemtev gets out with the Chassid, and they knock on the door. The peephole opens up 
and the man saw it's a Jew, or two Jews, he starts unlocking and unbolting the doors, and he opens the door, and quickly grabs the Vashemtev and the Chassid, and says, get inside, quickly! He says, you have any idea where you are? you have any idea what you just did? If the people here would have seen you, they would have killed you on the spot. Vashemtev wasn't very touched by his words, Hashanta says, he says, what are you doing here? He says, there's no time to discuss that. Right now, Shabbos is coming, we have to Dav Mincha. The shoemaker had seven sons. The shoemaker was eight, the Vashemtev and his chassid were two or ten. They now had a minion, and the Vashemtev, as his custom, Davin for the Ahmed, led the service. And he began to Davin very, very loudly. When Mincha finished, there was a glass bottle smashed on the door, followed by another one, and thumps of stones. It was pretty serious out there. Can you go get that call? Tell them nobody's home. And the Bashamtiv goes to the door. He opens the door and people start throwing rocks. Obviously nothing hits him. And one man with a stick screaming, you Jew, I'll kill you. And as he tries to approach the Vashemtev, he freezes. He's paralyzed. Another fellow with a knife tries to attack and he too gets paralyzed. The people saw that they were messing with the wrong person. said, now what? So they said, they started to ask forgiveness from Bashemtev. And they asked if the Bashemtev would take the spell or the curse off these guys. Bashemtev said something and the two of them fell down to the ground unconscious. All right. They carried everybody away. The Vashemtev turned around, left the door open. He left the door open and he started to dive in the Chunaranana. He washed his hands and he started the Chunaranana Kabbalah Shabbos. As he started, as he started, this tall man, skinny man, walks in through the door. And he hears what's going on the Tefillah, Kabbalah Shabbos, he walks to a corner, and he stands in the corner. Kabbalah Shabbos finishes, the meal finishes, with Zmiris, Divrei song, and words of Torah. And the man is about to leave, he turns to the host, to the shoemaker, who everybody knew was a shoemaker because the only reason they let this Jew live here is because he was a shoemaker. And he said, what time are you davening in the morning? Is this going on in the morning as well? He said, yes. What time? He told him what time. He said, okay. And lo and behold, the next morning this man shows up again and stands again in the corner, repeats the whole thing again and sits for the meal, listens to the debate to the song 
and leaves. The shoemaker turns to Vashemta at this point. So do you have any idea who that was? This is a professor at the university, the biggest anti-Semite around in Germany. He is the cause for all the anti-Semitism. All the people throwing stones and bottles, all because of him. Shabbos finished. The early next morning they got in the wagon and they were back within two hours, three hours, five hours. A very short time they were back in Mezhebush. Needless to say the Chassid was perplexed and bewildered and befuddled. So he asked the Bashantav, please would you explain to me who was the old man he saw in the forest? And the Bashantav said he is one of the 36 hidden Sadiqim on which the world depends. And he is the first one that will know when Mashiach comes. And that's what we discussed. Okay. So now, the Chassid got a hint of what was going on in this journey. Chassid then asked the Vashantav, what happened in the forest by the stream? The Bashemta explained that that stream is a stream of water since Shesus Mebereshis. Since God created the world, nobody ever made a bracha on the water of that stream. And the stream is about to dry up. And it would have meant that nobody ever made a blessing on the water of that stream. And therefore the Bashemtav had to make a detour to go past that stream to make a bracha in the water. He said, what about happened in the shoemaker's house? Bashemtav said, you'll find out. Years later, Bashemtav was nostalgic. His holy neshama returned to his creator. This chassid was walking in Minsk. As he was walking in Minsk, a very, very respectable looking Rav is walking towards him. And the Rav asks him, tell me, were you not a student of the Baal Shem HaKadosh, of Yisrael Baal Shem Tov? The chassid said, yes I am. He says, tell me, were you, no, were you not once Shabbos in Leipzig with the Bashemtev by the shoemaker? He said, yes I was. So he says, I was the professor. That tall professor, that anti-Semite. How it is that the Bashemtev knew that one day I'd become, I would be Megayer. I would convert and become a rabbi. I have no idea. But obviously the Hashem knew it, and therefore he attracted me by doing the miracles that he did to the students. And when I heard there was a wonder maker, a miracle maker in town, I had to come see for myself. I was so impressed with the words of Tater the Hashem so impressed with the way he behaved and conducted himself and his spirituality, 
that I, a few months later I disappeared from Leipzig, I disappeared from the university, I converted, and today I'm actually a rabbi. And so we begin to understand what journeys are all about. What our position, what our mission is on a journey. And therefore, when the second parsha of Eidah Matis and Masai, the parsha of Masai starts, Eidah Masai B'nei Yisrael, these are the journeys that the Jews took as they left Egypt. Mind-boggling. What's so mind-boggling? Technically, it should say Ela Masa. A riddle, which I said before. And maybe someone can figure out the riddle before I finish. A rabbit fell into a hole. Fell into a pit. In the pit, there was a ladder with 20 rungs. The rabbit had a condition that I guess psychologists today would love to dabble with. Every day, it walked up two rungs. But every evening, it fell back one. Question, how many days did it take the rabbit to leave the pit? If every day he went up to and fell down one, there were 20 rungs. Every day he went up to and fell down one. It took him 19 days. Because on the 19th day when he jumped up, he was on the 19th rung. When he jumped up two, he was out of the pit. So he no longer fell back one rung. The Jews left Egypt with one journey. That first out of Mitzrayim, the first step they made out of, the first foot that they took out of Mitzrayim, they went from Mitzrayim to Ramses, from Ramses to Sukkot. They were out of Egypt. Any other journey thereafter was not leaving Egypt. They were leaving somewhere else. So what therefore does it mean when it says Masay B'nai Yisrael that plural journeys the Jews took when they left Egypt? It only took that one journey to be leaving Egypt. Why plural? Nothing in the tale is written just for entertainment. 
The Tera is Lashon Hero. We spoke many times a lesson. I just want to interrupt a moment. I started saying something before, and apparently I had a senior moment, and I um, I didn't finish it. We dedicated the Shir this evening to Rafal Ben Adina, Shabbat Rafal Shehemah. Um, one of the participants every so often of this year sometimes physically and sometimes on Skype contacted me today to tell me about this terrible thing he had a motorcycle accident he's engaged to be married they pronounced him brain dead they don't know how long the vitals are going to hold out they say maybe seven, eight days. First of all, I want to just tell the doctors they have to know. Doctors were given permission to heal, not to kill. The ones that kill are called murderers. Doctors are healers. They're supposed to heal things, not tell a person that they're going to die. <laughs> An American once had a car accident in Australia. And then if you ever spoke to an Australian with a thick accent, he wakes up in the hospital, and the nurse is standing there, and she looks at him and she says, Did you come in here to die? He says, I hope not. Anyway. So the person says, Yeah, you know him, Rabbi. I said, I know him. How do I know him? So I'll send you a picture. So the person sent me a picture of this fellow, of Rafael Benadina, standing and wrapped up in Twilin, beautifully, and next to him saying, the davening is me. I put on Twilin with him. Must be about a year ago, a little more. I put on Tzvillin Rafal Ben Adina on Miftayim on my Friday route and um, he was so mitlahev from this he was so excited from this putting on Tzvillin that he posted on his Facebook page Whatever that is. I don't have Facebook. He posted on his Facebook page and um, that's how the person knew that I know this guy. Very interesting experience. Anyway, How do I get rid of this? Okay. Anyway, so therefore I have more of an incentive to, to daven for him and to dedicate a shir that it should be for his refuah, Yeshua. And maybe see miracles and the takidotu. The Rebbe explains that everything in Taylor is lush and heiro is a lesson for us to learn. And so too is Masay bin Yisrael, the journeys that the Jew takes. This is 
in retrospect, referring to the service that a person has to God. The word Mitzrayim is from the Lashon Mitzarim Ogvulim, boundaries, which are things that hold us back from doing certain things and serving the Almighty. Our service, our job, your mission, should you accept it, this tape will self-destruct, is to go out of these boundaries, to leave these behind us. Spiritual restraints have to be taken down. Nothing should stop us from serving God. What happens? When I do a mitzvah, I put on fill in the morning. And I dive in with a minion after going to the mikveh. I technically tell myself, ooh, I'm a spiritual fellow now. I went to the mikveh. I learned something before davening. I daven with a minion. What more do you want? No. When we start to leave those first, to peel away those restraints, spiritual restraints, we have to know that's not enough. The person already went out of Mitzrayim, yes, he went out of Mitzrayim out of restraint. But he still has to strive to get higher and higher. And when it comes to retrospect to the highest of the levels, he's still in Mitzrayim until he breaks to the highest, till he accomplishes what he has to. Therefore, Mase is a plural to imply to us, to teach us, to hint to us when we go out of our own restraint, no matter how high and no matter how much we achieved, we are still in confines. We still need to strive to go higher and higher and to get better and better and bigger and bigger. So a person should not say, should never say, I've done enough, I've accomplished enough. It's enough what I've done, because the mission of each and every person is to be a mahalach, constantly going and striving and thriving to go higher and higher, never to settle and stay in one place. And each day that the Almighty gives us, our mission is to strive to get better and higher each time. There was a chassid in Kfachabad that approached Rabbi Bolton. Actually, he didn't approach Rabbi Bolton. The chassid himself is usually very much to himself. However, Rabbi Bolton once went to him and helped him put up his sukkah. The chassid was very grateful, and he says, I want to tell you a story. It's my story, he says. He says, I grew up in a very frum family, a family, but I was in Russia in early, late 1800s, early 1900s, 
And I was a hot-blooded kid. And I wanted to serve the country. I wanted to accomplish something. I wanted to become something or somebody. And so, I joined the army. I joined the army. I became a tank, a tanker, a tankist, tankist. And I even have a few medals from World War One. But after World War One, the regime changed. And I wasn't aware of this. I was still faithful to the country, to Mother Russia. One day, I'm dragged into court, and within ten minutes, I was told I was guilty of still being loyal and faithful to the old regime, and this gave me life and hard labor in Siberia. I was devastated. My country. All I've done for my country. And this is my reward. This is where it's going to end up. This is where we're going to finish it. What could I do? I was put in prison. And while I was in prison, on the waiting, on the hold, waiting to be shipped off to my mission, something very interesting came up. Another work detail was being opened up, deep, deep in Siberia, and freezing, freezing, below zero Siberia. And they decided a ship was going to go out there, and they were going to take builders, and they were going to build an army base, deep in the frost of Siberia. This would also protect the army because nobody comes out there. We were told that you could commute your sentence. If you got 20 years, if you go to this job, you get 10. Not only that, instead of 7 days a week, you're going to work 5 days a week. Not only that, the ration will be a loaf of bread a day instead of a slice of bread a day. I jumped on the opportunity, he says. I was a strong fellow. I was not scared of the cold. And we went. I came to Siberia. The cold was pretty bad. And he says, we started working, and after about two years, the Russians gave up on the project. They said, first of all, they're not getting anywhere. Secondly, even if we build an actual base here, the soldiers won't be able to survive here. And third of all, most of the detail died. So, the few that survived, and I was one of them, came back to Russia. I was told because I served, I didn't have to serve the rest of my sentence, I was sent free.
just to show you how the renegade's mind works. I was upset. I was upset. What could you be upset about after that? This is the, we don't understand how we have to appreciate God for every small thing that we have and anything that we ever had. That we can be upset when it comes, the guy gets his... The whole thing is only two years instead of life, instead of hard labor, seven days a week. We had only a few days a week. It was cold, it was frost. That didn't bother him. He's upset that he's back. And he worked for two or three years and did nothing. It's painful. I've told the story before. The king was, was riding by a field once and saw the fellow, the farmer, his pitchfork, lifting up bales of hay onto the wagon. And the man worked majestically, the synchronization, the way the hands motioned the movement and putting up and lifting up and putting on. It was amazing. The king was so fascinated, he walked over, he said to the farmer, come here, tell me my brother, how much do you make a day? He told him, he says, in other words, you're making about 30 ruble a month. Said, yes, Your Majesty. Says, I will pay you thirty ruble a day. You'll come to my palace in the morning. You will not sweat. You will simply take your pitchfork, go through the motions. That majestic move that you have of your wrists, your elbows, your shoulders, you will do that over and over all day long. But you won't have the strenuous lifting of the bales of hay you won't have this sweating sweltering sun beating down upon you you'll be in the comfort of my palace in front of me in my chambers you'll have my servants fanning you even and you'll make the same amount you make a whole month in one day and that's what I want you to do for me every day farmers couldn't, it's awful, you can't refuse. And the farmer the next morning shows up in the palace, and the king welcomes him in, open arms, and the farmer, in his new clean overalls, begins to go to the motions. He goes through the motions as if he lifted one bale, a second, a third, and he's just going through the motion of his arms, his shoulders, that majestic flow of putting up the bales of hay. And you know something? It was comfortable. It was nice and cool. The sun was not baking on him. And the weight was weightless. The day ended, and the farmer put in the same amount of hours he did every day, and receive that wage, that 30 rubles in that one day wage, something it took him a whole month to earn. And the king says to him, so we'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And he says, no, your majesty, I will not return. And the king was mesmerized. Why won't you return? I paid you your money, you don't believe me I'm going to pay you? 
I'll give you an advance. He says, no, your majesty, of course I believe you'll pay me. So why would you not come back? And he told the king, he says, your majesty, I went through the motions. I went bending down, lifting up my imaginary bale of hail, of hay, putting my imaginary bale of hay on my imaginary wagon. But at the end of the day, I accomplished nothing. I made 30 rubles, but I did nothing. I can't do that. I need to see something accomplished. And this old Chassid, who was really a renegade, felt the same way. I worked so many years for nothing. Nothing happened. And he was walking at night through the streets of I believe Petersburg. And he walked into a shul. He heard singing. And he saw a bunch of younger and older, a whole mix of chassidim sitting by a fabrengen. Each one had a kelishkel of mashka in front of him, a little cup of vodka. And they were singing with their eyes closed, the very chassidim and when the nigan finished, they each one lift up their cups and the chayim, and they took a sip. And then the elder of the group started to tell his story. He told the story of a man, a yid, who was a chassid of the Helek Arishina. This chassid of the Helek Arishina was a jeweler. And one day, the pirates decided, the landowner decided, he wants a plaque built. A large plaque, a very special, precious, semi-precious stone. And he came to this jeweler, it's the only way you're going to get this marble, this stone, is in India. Here's money for it, money for your journey, go to India and bring me back the stone. No. Chassid and the rest of the money I'll pay you when you get back. The Chassid went to his rabbi to the Rizina and the Hedek Rizina gave him a bracha gave him his blessing of success. How much happier could he be? A bracha from the rabbi. He traveled to India and he purchased the stone, the marble stone, the beautiful stone. He mounted the stone onto the ship and he began the journey home. He's sleeping in his cabin and he feels something very wrong with the ship. He feels like the ship is upside down. Immediately he tries to climb off, he can't even climb off the bed. He's stuck to the ceiling. He rolls himself out, miraculously he grabs his tefillin and his tehillim, and he runs up to the upper deck, whatever was of the upper deck, and there's nobody to be found. Everybody must have jumped ship. He jumps into the water, there's no lifeboats, he jumps into the water, and lo and behold, there's a rowboat there. He climbs on the boat, and he starts to scream and to yell, anybody hear me, somebody save me. There's nothing. 
He lies down in the rowboat and goes to sleep. Next morning he wakes up. He sees an island. He rows himself to the island. And he gets out and it's time for Shachris. He davens, he says, till him. He finds food for a second day, for a third day, for three whole years. Finally, one day after three years, a ship appears. He signals the ship. The ship comes and saves him. And he comes back to the Rishna. He comes back to town. He comes to look at, for the parrots to explain what happened. At there's nobody here. There's nobody in the parrots' palace. I mean, there is, but they don't remember this parrots' name. We bought the palace from somebody else. It wasn't even the parrots. And he asks around, and he asks around, and nobody has any recollection. Any knowledge of this part, the parrots had totally disappeared from the face of the earth. What did I just do for three years on an island? Why did this happen to me, said the Chassid. And he ran to the Rujana, and he told the Rujana what happened. And the Rujana said, I know. So he said to the Rujana, what happened to me? Why did that happen? Why did I just waste three years? And the Holy Rishonah told him, no, you did not waste three years. The Jews went down to Egypt and they had to spend 200 plus years in Egypt. What they were doing in Egypt, they had to elevate certain sparks that were left in Egypt, undone, unclean. They had to be elevated spirituality. This island that you were on had many such sparks as well. Your three years of davening, of Tehillim, managed to elevate those sparks. And that's why you were sent there. He says, but the parrots, he says, the parrots didn't have to exist. Nothing else was important in this picture, except that you elevate these sparks. And this, therefore, is Masay b'nei Yisrael. This this is our journeys. This is The journeys that we're taking, Masay, throughout our lives, each one, each step, each breath, each word, each word that we say to somebody. Is our mission is completing what we need to complete in this world. We always discuss the the beginning of the Chumash and the end of the Chumash, how they work. As we said before, the word is letters sweetness. From their fathers, Yardain is Yad Ner, or also it's the long word of the of a river, which is refers to Mashiach. Yeah. 
And Yerechai also is the Lashon of Reach of Mashiach. And therefore, the Chumash finishes off the counting, the journeys that the Jew takes of Bamidbar through the desert, and we bring it to the ultimate accomplishment of Mashiach, the kingdom. We are now, as we said before, embarking on the nine days. The nine days range from Rishchidosh Menachem Ov till Tishad Ov. Next week, we at Shemblin Nether this year, we will discuss the laws of Tishabov on Shabbos. And many there are. Rishchidosh Oder Get it straight one day. Rishchidosh Menachem Ov is the only Rishchidosh actually mentioned in the Torah. I've just spoke to the dealer of our dresses. She calls from China. Yeah. The only and it's mentioned in today's parsha where it talks about. In, today, in today's, I believe in today's Chitas, it tells us a story of the Jewish nation that we always look back on. Maybe it's yesterday's. Aaron Akrayan is told on the first day. We're having a senior moment. Today, Iron is told that this day to go up on the mountain of Herahar to go up on this Rishchidosh of this month, and Iron passes away. Al Pi Hashem, and Rashi tells us Al Pi Hashem. From here we learn that he received a kiss of death. God kissed him on his lips and took his neshama. And Moshe Rabbeinu requests the same death. So therefore we see in this week's parsha, the only parsha that mentions actually this Rishchidosh, the only Rishchidosh mentioned in the Torah, and this is the Rishchidosh of Menachem Ov. Throughout the nine days, there are many things we're not allowed to do, mostly basically because of mourning. The Sephardic custom, they usually keep only Shavuah Shechalbo. 
But there is no Shavuot Shechalbo this year. Because Tishabab is on Shabbos. Rishchidosh is Friday. So Friday we keep the first day. Rishchidosh. Shabbos we don't keep these laws. And then Sunday is already Shavuot Shechalbo. Shavuot, the week that Tishabab comes out in. Therefore, the laws referring to here, according to Shulchan Aruch, are the days of old when people were able to do this. One should not shower during the nine days. One should not put on any new garments. One should not wash garments. One may not eat meat, not drink wine, not listen to music. Which is basically what we've been going through for the three weeks also of the listening to music. But on the nine days we don't listen to music. In the nine days we are much more sincere and serious in what we do and how we do it. There are different decisions, there are different different ways that a person has to act. <coughs> the chassidim take this to a different level, as we said before, v'shinich nesav m'mayit and how, only through simcha. That doesn't mean we listen to music, doesn't mean we do things that we're not allowed to. But Shabbos is Shabbos. And whereas in the literature world they tend to uh, sing on Shabbos the davening, the tunes of davening to the tune of Eicha, etc. is totally unacceptable by Chassidim. We don't cut our nails, you know, cut your hair. We don't eat meat. However, if a person goes to a siyam or to a suddhas mitzvah, the person may eat meat. A bris would be a suddhas mitzvah. Chabad, the custom is to hear a siyam every day of the nine days. Those who don't have a way to get to a siyam, I believe every night at approximately 9.45, you can log on to 770live, 770live.com, and you can get a camera of the live camera, live stream, of what's going on in 770 Eastern Parkway. Every night there is a CM said there. It's approximately six minutes. You can listen to the CM itself. And then the speaker elaborates on the siyum. So you don't have to listen to the whole elaboration. You can listen just to the siyum itself. By which, thereby you be yoytza, hearing a siyum. And it's a big thing, and it's very, very important that we remember to do so. And we daven and pray that Yehovchu Yomelu, the sasin of the simcha, these days should be turned for happiness and joy. 
Tomorrow again we have a group of women as every Arab Shaydish that go to the oil. We'll be going tomorrow evening as well before Shaydish. There's the discuss of going Arab Shaydish to the oil. Anyone that wants to send letters they're more than welcome to send it. You can email it. And we'd be more than happy to take your letter to the Ohel. The main thing is that this Shabbos should be taka Shabbos of Simcha. Shinichnas of Memait and Hal Dafka through Simcha. And the Simcha that we look for is the Simcha Amitis Vashlema. We didn't learn anything in Hilchas Beis HaBechira, unfortunately. But we also ran out of time. So Shabbat Shalom to all. And we will hopefully see you in Yerushalayim. All the best. What did you find? News reports of funerals. Why is it BS? The kids from Burgas is nothing? Seven kids were killed? That's nothing, you think? Yes, news. I gotta go to the bathroom. My bones hurt. I can't sit so long in the same position. Oh, yes, the one that's really rubber. He's 102 years old, man.
מסכת חיים שלמעלה מ-102 שנים הסתיימה היום. חיים שהחלו בידי הטורקים והסתיימו בידי הפייסבוק, אבל בעצם לא השתנו מהותית. במוקד חייו של הרב אלישיב עמד יום יום לימוד התורה בלבד. מי שכולם פוסק הדור מעולם לא למד בישיבה באופן רשמי, אלא היה אוטודידקט מוחלט. בחוג למנהיג שקדם לו הרב שך, שנודע בפעילות הציבורית שלו, הרב אלישיב נחבא על הכלים, לא הקים מוסדות, לא עמד בראש ישיבה, למעשה מעולם לא נעמו בברית. רק בעשור האחרון, אחרי פטירת הרב שך, עבר לעמדת הנהגה ונדרש יותר ויותר לסוגיות ציבוריות.
Yes, he might do that one. I'm sorry, I'm going to run this. No? I'm going to run this.